It was a 90% drop. So, it was it was catastrophic. It was absolutely heartbreaking. We had to make redundant the majority of the staff. Everyone's going, okay, well, if I can't go to the cafe or I can't go as regularly because I, I shouldn't really leave home, I'm going to get myself set up at home. So, we saw a, a massive double in sales overnight, basically. We think in this crisis, the big opportunity is really that for the first time, smaller independent brands like Coco Safar can access dream locations under terms and conditions unthinkable just three months ago. Hi, welcome to the first ever episode of Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave, a coffee business magazine. Every other week, we're going to be listening to lots of inspiration from key leaders who are carving out a roadmap of success across the world of coffee. We're going to be looking at topics like operational excellence, looking at the business of green coffee, country profiles, business of roasting, HR strategies, financing, property, and so much more. Whether you're a small operator with one or two outlets, or whether you're a giant operator with more than a thousand outlets worldwide, we can all learn from these great people who are out there every day at the coal front. Today, we're going to be looking at the fundamental changes that COVID-19 is going to have on the business of coffee. We're going to hear from William Liebenberg of Coco Safar, a boutique coffee and patisserie business from South Africa. We're going to hear from Jenny Willits of Seven Miles, an influential national Australian coffee roaster. First up, we're speaking to Nick Stone of Bluestone Lane, a chain of Australian-inspired specialty coffee shops across North America with over 50 locations. It all started in Manhattan and spread out all the way to Venice Beach, California. And among many things, Nick hints that perhaps the future of coffee will be less about foot traffic and more about suburban coffee and also drive-through. Before we get into the topic, I think it'd be really interesting to get a bit of background about Bluestone Lane and also a little bit of background on yourself as well. Sure. So I'm originally from Melbourne in Australia and I landed in the States in New York City in late 2010 to actually go to business school. While I was studying, it was apparent to me how different the coffee culture was in the US versus Australia, which is a land of independence. Um, and eventually, finally, in 2013, we opened our first store in a subterranean basement, Midtown Manhattan. We opened 12 over the preceding three years. And since then, we, we opened another 40. So we currently have 51 coffee shops and cafes. I'm assuming you've, you've had to make some pretty tough decisions to keep the, the show on the road. I'd be interested to know what's the magnitude of impact on the business and what have you had to deal with? We have employed pre-COVID around 650 people. We were doing really well and we were going to grow about you know 50 to 60% year on year. And then our revenue dropped 90% week on week. So, it was, it was catastrophic. It was absolutely heartbreaking. We had to make redundant the majority of the staff. Those who remained, about 100, worked in the stores that we kept open purely for three reasons. First, for some sense of continuity of the brand. Secondly, to give our locals some hope that we're going to continue to fulfill our mission of being a local's genuine daily escape so they can escape from their apartment. And then thirdly, so we can continue to contribute to community initiatives like Fuel for Our Healthcare Heroes, in which we donated about 40,000 cups of coffee across five states and over 35 hospitals. So, 
we've now up to opening 20 stores, but our sales volume is only about 20, 23% of what it should be based on budget and, you know, maybe 25, 26%, maybe, maybe about closer to 30% pre-COVID. So it's extremely challenging and I've probably never dealt with anything as complicated in my life. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to see where the future is going to be. Anything could change, you know, second waves, et cetera. At this stage, what long-term changes do you think this might have? The changes have been dramatic. As an example, on March 16th, Bluestone Lane, the stores that we kept open, 14 of our 51 stores, they all went mobile only exclusively. So we, we have not accepted a credit card payment or a cash payment since that day. The only way in which you can order is via a 100% mobile contactless experience. And it led from our loyalty sort of program having about 50,000 registered participants to now over 100,000. So you have to have a Bluestone Land app. You download it. It connects to a reservation platform. When you arrive, you check in. You're asked your health check questions. You're then greeted by the concierge. They're taken to your table. You scan a barcode on your phone. It automatically opens the app. And then you order directly from the app and the food is delivered to you and payment and tip and service charges all through one simple expedited frictionless experience. And it all goes through one loyalty program, which we never offered pre-COVID. So technology to drive efficiencies, to manage risk, I don't think will ever recede. This will without a doubt be the way forward. And you're seeing what Starbucks are investing in with mobile only as well. Secondly, without a doubt, real estate changes across the entire spectrum, office through to retail dramatically changes. You're going to see such a bigger focus on amenity retail. It was already moving that way, but it's going to accelerate. There's certainly areas in which they rely on tremendous you know, commuter traffic and you know, tremendous office occupancy are going to be more impacted negatively. There's going to be a huge push towards work from home and suburban locations. That's what we're focused on. We only have one suburban location. Oh, we have two actually, one in the Hamptons and one in Los Altos, which is in the Bay Area of San Francisco. They're both doing exceptionally well. That's where we'll be focused on. Finally, we pre-COVID, we were only 5% of our total sales was delivery. It was a very, very small part of the business. So, we didn't really focus on it. Delivery became over 50% of the business within one month. So, onboarding all the different platforms, having it all go through our one system, our Olo Rail system, there was a huge sprint there. And what about your expansion plans? Is this sort of putting the brakes on any further expansion, at least for the foreseeable future? Or you know, we, we cut all new store openings when COVID arrived. We had to save cash in any way, shape or form we could, and it all adds up. I don't really have a set view on expansion with the exception of I do believe that suburbs are going to be very attractive. I'm working on a roadmap to focus on suburban locations that have linkage to the mass urban centers we're in. So parts of of New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, I think things like drive-through will be completely socially acceptable for premium brands now. I mean, obviously, you've got the, your technology for delivery and pickup, click and collect, etc. Any movement, significant movement on the e-commerce of, say, coffee for home, uh, beans or? That jumped dramatically. Uh, it's up period on period about 400%. 
But e-commerce is still small relative to retail. And I, I think it seems very alluring and it makes sense have coffee delivered to home and coffee's, you know, a decent size category on Amazon. But it is competitive and it's extremely price sensitive. And there's the cost of acquisition can be very, very high. So there's not that many coffee brands out there that really do north of one to two million dollars in sales. I think what's going to be interesting about e-commerce is with coffee shops, the way delivery is working, you know, instead of buying coffee from Amazon or buying directly from the roastery, it might be much more efficient just to get coffee delivered from your local cafe. And I think avoiding that whole packaging shipping. So, in, if you're ordering uh, avocado smash and a brekkie board or a chia pudding and a, an ice magic, you could just throw a bag of beans in there and they could grind them for you. It could be whole bean and it could be a lot more fresh and just a more efficient transaction than ordering online. So, that's something that we're looking at is converting you know, a lot of our stores to really more distribution and maybe that'll cannibalize a bit of e-com. But I think a lot of brands are going to be looking at that because it, it could be cheaper for them, far cheaper than doing shipping on e-com. Now let's hop across the Pacific and speak with Jenny Willits, CEO of Seven Miles Coffee Roasters. Seven Miles roasts coffee in Sydney, Brisbane and Canberra, and they also have barista training centres across Australia. Jenny reiterates some of the trends that Nick Stone just mentioned, including the trend towards suburban cafes, deliveries and that huge jump in e-commerce. It's interesting to note that COVID also coincided with a report that Seven Miles was publishing about the future of the cafe space. The report confirms many of the trends that we're seeing happening now were just being accelerated by COVID. So a big welcome here to Jenny Willits. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I I think the first thing I'd love to address is the question of coronavirus. Just in summary, how has your business been affected? Oh, look, I I think the impact was quite monumental when it first hit. When it first hit, cafes had to go into just takeaway only. And actually that forced them to, I suppose, not just do takeaway only, but it it led them into delivery and, you know, bringing the cafe experience home. We've got lots of tales of cafe owners suddenly becoming courier drivers and looking at uh, delivery models and things that they probably actually always wanted to look at. And suddenly, given the crisis, they did. I'd be fascinated to know how the Australian cafe market may have been impacted by the virus. If I can give some examples, my few of our uh, cafe owners in the CBDs, their businesses have totally changed. You know, they've gone from being some of our larger cafe customers to, you know, a, a smaller customer because you're obviously not getting the uh, number of foot traffic in the CBD as, as you once did. And then conversely, and much benefit for a lot of the suburban cafes, they're actually seeing significant spikes in trade because they have got more people based in their locality still want their coffee, you know. And I think actually what we saw was a lot of people talked about the fact that going to get their morning coffee was a ritual into what their normal world was. So actually, it was really important that cafes remained open for the sanity uh, of, of people because I grab my coffee and then I go, but I'm still connecting with my local community. I'm still supporting my local cafe business. And we, we saw that across Australia and in, in most of the hubs, I mean, particularly in Brisbane, Sydney and Canberra. 
Wow. And what about coffee to to buy to take home? Are you seeing an uplift in e-commerce on your own site? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was literally overnight. You know, I think that you just suddenly went from people were going, you know, the words lockdown and people suddenly wanted coffee. And I, and you know, I know from talking to some of our machine equipment suppliers, their sales in home machines spiked as well because everyone's going, okay, well, if I can't go to the cafe or I can't go as regularly because I, I shouldn't really leave home, I'm going to get myself set up at home. I'm going to purchase coffee online for my roaster. So we saw a, a massive double in sales overnight, basically. Now that has dropped a little bit. And again, it was funny talking to some of my peers and competitor roasters. We, we've all kind of had the same experience. I think people actually appreciate now how hard it is to make really good quality espresso coffee at home. Regardless if you've got the most amazing machine, you've still got to be able to use that machine, clean that machine and know what you're doing to get the best coffee. So it's a bit of fun to begin with, but then nothing beats actually going to your local cafe and getting that coffee made for you by an expert, by a barista. So I think we're seeing this kind of swing back to cafes and what you're actually beginning to see is a much more knowledgeable coffee consumer. You know, they've brought it home. They now know, as said, how hard it is actually. They now understand maybe the craft of making a really good espresso coffee. What What do you think some of the legacies are going to be for coronavirus going forward yeah. for our industry? I'll take a step back before I kind of answer that question. We had a, a big report that we had been working on called Cafe 2025. And it was a look into where we saw the future of the local coffee shop and the cafe category. What were the type of trends that they were going to need to uh, adapt for and what, what should they focus on and, and, and what type of equipment would they need? We very quickly realized that Actually, a lot of the findings in our report were actually being accelerated as a result of COVID. I think what it's done is, it, is it's going to accelerate cashless, for example. Automation is really interesting. So again, one of the things that we have been looking at is how some of the automation of the barista process, so from you know uh, machines like the puck press through to the Uber milks and how they sit alongside the traditional espresso machines, we really feel that the role of the barista as a coffee expert is going to become even more critical because more people know more about coffee as a result of bringing it into their home. So when they go to a cafe, it makes sense that they're going to want to have an experience with someone who really does know and can talk about it. So if they're stuck behind an espresso machine, for example, it's very hard for them to do that. So if there are other processes around that that can enable them to have a conversation um, and engage with their consume with their customer, then I, I think we're certainly going to see that that increase probably more swiftly than we would have thought. If you're curious to read the Seven Miles Cafe 2025 report, we've linked it at worldcoffeepodal.com. To round out the conversation about the long-term impacts of COVID, let's head to Cape Town, South Africa, and speak with Willem Liebenberg of Coco Safar. Coco Safar is a boutique cafe, chocolatery, bakery, and well-rounded business. It's very upmarket and ambitious in its plans to launch across America, Europe, and the Middle East. Welcome, Wilhelm. I'm really excited to be sitting around, you know, sort of a virtual table with you now. I'd love to hear more about your business. 
So Coco Safari today, it's about creating really the Hermes of coffee cafe patisserie. It's really pushing accessible luxury. So beautiful uniforms, everything we're doing from the artisanal bread to the viennoiserie and baked goods to the patisserie to the way we serve coffee, the breakfast, lunch and dinner. Everything is about creating an experience that elevates and leaves you on an emotional high we now find ourselves in a position where we are poised and ready to deploy the brand internationally. I'd first love a little bit of background on your journey. I believe you began your early career in the the music industry. Is that right? I was indeed very privileged to start my career in music. That quickly led to another passion, fashion. I ended up living in the U.S., designed my own line for major department stores in the U.S., Eventually, I ended up living in uh, Montreal and at a very exciting time, developed a group of companies, record company, model agency, ad agency, design firm, (laughs) and all driven by a passion for the creative world. All of this ultimately led to starting dabbling into the coffee, cafe, bakery, retail industry. I'm, you know, seeing some quite radical numbers coming out of South Africa and looks like South Africa is going to be one of the most affected countries in the world for COVID. I'd love to have your views of where your business is at currently. We got into major lockdown immediately. We started having to wear from March in a March wearing masks every day, everywhere. We immediately pivoted and brought in 15, 20 new products on the on the bakery side we uh, repositioned and created a luxury takeout offering on the coffee rooibos patisserie bakery side and also a small capsule emporium where you can get your beans and your capsules and we launched a premium delivery experience this all happened in the space of literally one week we were very fortunate that when all of this was happening because we moved so quickly I think for a month, we were the only people serving takeout coffee in all of Cape Town. That exposed us to a much larger audience overnight. And we literally had lineups of (laughs) 20, 30 minutes for baked goods for coffee. This has proven to us that that part of our business model for small express units are um, little satellite units. That is a phenomenal way for us to look forward at the market. And we see that 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 works really well, even better than we anticipated. And I think it was a very unique challenge for us. You can't sit people down. So how do you make the takeout experience a luxurious and memorable one? So (laughs) I was kind of really going back and reevaluate everything we're doing. We're very fortunate. The look and feel of the brand is understated luxury. So we had to see how do we leverage that? So those few minutes that the people are there or while they're waiting in line. So that was a great opportunity. We could offer them some espresso shots from the various capsules that we're having to taste that while we're waiting in line. And what about the broader Cape Town market, uh, you, you, you know, or the South African market? What do it's, you see? Yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. Yeah. I mean, I personally think half of the restaurants in Cape Town is never going to open again. I mean, the industry has been hit brutally hard. I think one of the biggest things is tourism. On Saturday, we left and for a drive out of our store and we had 15 tables, people sitting, having breakfast and coffee and Most of the places down the street had 
just two or three tables. Now, you had and still have presumably some big global ambitions. Do you want to tell us about your ambitions globally? When we started looking these couple of months, just with the starting with a takeout model, we realized that if we took all the units we did that was in RAND and we converted it just in US dollars, just if you could pick up this takeout model and just drop it in New York or London or Paris. And we were really blown away by what it meant in revenue. So our focus changed a lot saying the model for us going forward would really be focused on small satellite units. And so for New York, the shocking thing is today, Jeffy, we can negotiate deals that is on par or similar to Cape Town rents. Wow. So that's quite shocking that, that yeah. it's dropped. Not, not in my entire life have I seen opportunities where I actually can now negotiate in a prime location in New York, a flagship that would be comparable rand to dollar to prices that I, in my lifetime I haven't seen in terms and conditions. So for us, we're actually looking at being very bullish. So our focus is now going to shift to taking a failed restaurant, converting it into a production center, and then maybe a, a, a smallish flagship instead of a big mothership. Mm -hmm. And that would supply small satellite locations in key locations. But the locations that before was only available to banks, suddenly we can have corner locations at an incredibly affordable rate that was unthinkable before, whether that's in Los Angeles or Toronto or New York. So for us, we think in this crisis, the big opportunity is really that for the first time, smaller independent brands like Coco Safar can access dream locations under terms and conditions unthinkable just three months ago. And that's all this week for Fifth Wave. We'd love to know what interests you so we can make our episodes relevant to your business and your experiences in coffee. Please visit us at worldcoffeeportal slash fifth wave and tell us what topics you'd like to hear. This podcast was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. The theme music is Coffee Cold. It was originally written by Galt McDermott. Here it is interpreted and performed by Matt Kent, a young musician from New York City as part of the Coffee Music Project. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. <laughs>